Hi, how are you? Hi, Gilbert. Hi, Tisha. Hi, Katrina. How are you? How are you today? Good, good. I'm good. I'm doing good. Thanks. Can you hear us? Yes, I can hear. Oh, okay. I can hear you. Yeah. Oh, good. How about no. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you. I don't, it was probably on my side. I'm, I'm, yeah. Uh, hi, Jamie. Hi, Gilbert. Please meet um, our guest speaker, um, Dr. Manuburi. Hi, Gilbert. Hi, Jamie. Very, very good evening to you both. I'm very excited for this talk. I was just reading your paper. How are you both? Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Excellent. I am very well, thank you. Get ready for some questions. I have seven or eight or nine or ten. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Have you had a good day so far? Yeah, it's been good. Like the usual stuff, talking to students, getting things done, meetings and stuff. The usual, yeah. It's good. Hey, I've been a student. I've never got things done as a student. <laughs> well, in the sense, it's in a, in my case, it's helping students to get their things done. So yeah, okay, yeah. So you you you're the you're the guided hand, yeah. Yeah, I'm the mentor yes. kind of. So that's excellent. Right, we're just setting things up here. Give me one moment, please. Right, we're still got a few minutes before we get started, so feel free. Do you have any questions for the up-and-coming talk since we've got a few minutes uh, before we get started, doctors? Uh, not really, because Katerina briefed us yesterday how it's going to roll out. So. Good. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, you're in the UK as well, aren't you? Both of no. you? No. Oh, you're not uh, in the UK? Nope. We're based in Finland. Oh, you're in Finland. I'm, I'm the UK. That's probably why our time zones are like closer than whenever I have to participate in the American ones. All right. I quite frequently have Hi, to be Jonas. awake at all sorts of Hello. times in the morning. Okay. How are you doing there, Katerina? Good, good. Thank you. How are you? How are you? Thank you for coming, Jonas. Um, yeah, I hope your days went well. I know for you it's already pretty late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had to already quickly have dinner with my daughter and set up a different headphone system for her to watch YouTube while I have my own thing over here. So we have a media going on. Yeah, the how old is your daughter? They love you, those YouTube videos, right? My my kids the same. <laughs> yeah, but some of the videos have some sort of zombie survival hack, so <laughs> I don't know how useful they are. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> 
Or did they also watch um, other kids play video games? That's what my kids <laughs> No, just some sort of uh, like all kinds of like hacks of how to cook something in the kitchen or how to make colors out of Skittles or all those kind of things. Oh, well, that's pretty good. That's, that's yeah, some, some of them are good, yeah. some of them um, zombie survival that are not as useful as the others, but it's a variety. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Sosie Rahim. Meet our guest speakers, Jonas and um, uh, Sisha. Am I saying your name right now or uh, did I say it wrong again? <laughs> No, uh, it it it's fine. It's fine. You got it right. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. So Victoria is in in the West Coast. So for her, it's still morning. For you, you guys, it's yes. evening. So. Yes. Oh, oh, good day. <laughs> good afternoon. What what will be what will we invent? Uh, for, for our situation. Good day doesn't work, good morning. How about just good something? I don't know, good everything. Nice to see you. <laughs> yes. Exactly. What, about, what, about, what about good science? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll have to work on that one. So, um, yeah, we'll start in around three minutes. Hi, Dr. Shah, how are you today? Hi, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hi, Dr. Shah. Hi, Sissy, Reem. Hi, Jamie. How do I see everyone who's here? I see like six people on my screen. Where do I find the others? Is there some sort of view? Can you? Uh, I'm not sure. Are you on a computer or? No, on my phone. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Can you? Are you able to scroll? So move your screen up. And ah, then okay. Others in room, then I can see four more people. Study. Right. Yeah. Glad you asked. Because you were like saying hello to people who were coming and I didn't see anyone. So makes yeah, sense. Yeah, we're also mysterious. How do I pronounce your name, doctor? I'm sorry, I came late. Oh, so which one are you asking? Oh, we have a group here. Wonderful. Sesha? Yes, that's right. All that's right. Me. Nice to meet you. And Jonas? Nice to meet you. Thank you. Yes, perfect. Okay. How exciting.
Okay, I think we can slowly start and then um, and then we can always um, when when more people will arrive. Um, well, we start with the interview, so um, that's perfect. So, um, welcome everyone to the Science Society. Thank you so much for coming, and um, a special thanks to our guest speakers here. Uh, Dr. Sisha um, Manuguri and um, Dr. Um, Jonas uh, Risi. And let me give you, let me introduce you um, a little bit to the audience. Um, so, um, yeah, they have, you know, some information where you currently are. So, Dr. Um, Jonas uh, Risi, he is um, in the Department of Neuroscience. And biomedical engine, uh, he, um, biomedical engineering. Um, he is um, he has worked his whole whole life um, working towards. Uh, he's interested in working towards having an, a quite international career, and. Um, yeah, his passion is to be part of great discoveries and stories. And um, yeah, he, he's, um, his dream is to work with materials also that will be used to go to outer space. So he's at the Outer University. Um, but, um, he has a PhD in bioengineering and biomedical um, engineering. Um, and um, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. And thanks, thanks for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And um, Dr. Sisha um, Manuguri, um, he's a postdoctoral researcher, um, and um, he um, is looking. It's very solution driven. And he has experience in designing and executing complex research projects in the field of material sciences. Um, he um, he um, loves working in cross-functional teams uh, where you have a very diverse um, back teams of backgrounds. Um, and he is also at the Alto University full time. Um, and um, yeah, thank you so much. And he also has a quite international background. He also uh, did, was at the Auckland University and New Zealand uh, before and at the Royal Institute of Technology. Um, so welcome to both of you and uh, Victoria will do a short interview so that we will learn a little bit more about you in a more interactive way. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for the introduction, Katerina. So um, thank you, Katerina, for those, the, um, the introduction. I would like to ask you both um, two questions, but we'll start with this question to to give our audience a bit of background information and to carry us into hearing about your research. With that background, my question is, if you can think about a time in your life that you noticed that you felt a particular affinity for science, 
and and that could be um, somebody that you met in your life um, when you were a child or somewhere during the time of your schooling that that you really felt connected to science that this was that science was a place for you so um, that's my question thank you uh yes yeah. yeah, Sasha you're on Can my I... you come first so let's start with you yes go for it okay uh, so well for me uh interest in science or passion in science came very uh, late in the late in my career during my phd uh, the reason i got into science was uh, like i started researching when i was in my second uh, bachelor's but the reason being uh, i was from a small town in india and i went to this big university so I had a lot of inhibitions so science was a way to for me to overcome my inhibitions it was not really a passion per se initially but uh, but during my masters it was the environment in sweden that kind of uh, brought out the scientist in me the freedom that i got to explore my ideas in the lab and the people around that i spoke to especially my uh, supervisor or boss at that time uh, professor olaf ramstrom he was a kind and a very uh, smart human being so he uh, motivated me and mentored me uh, quite uh, quite well during my master's period that was the initiation for me into serious science into the phd uh it was uh it was mostly in my final years of my phd that i started uh, uh developing a concrete understanding of what i wanted to do in future regarding my scientific career but uh to be honest uh for me science is not for me i like problem solving it could be anything related to science or non-science stuff i just like to uh bring in different fields of science or technology or history or music just to understand complex uh, theories or complex problems so it could be anything not only science science is just a tool for me to understand these uh, complex issues pertaining to human beings or animals or it could be anything so That, that's my story i hope i've answered your question you have and and i i appreciate that that you made the answer truthful to you you know the sincerity of that that it's the understanding of complex issues and not necessarily science related um yeah. you know it is yeah thank you so much it is personal to you and um yunus can you please Sure, yeah, but... okay, so answer was quite uh, quite profound, so uh, let me let me try to <laughs> try to get something in a similar sense. I guess for me is that um I love learning. My goal in life is to learn, but it doesn't have to be science. I also I love languages because in languages you're constantly learning. You are never never done. Like, you know, I nowadays use English as basically my first language, but that's not how I grew up. And then I also speak Finnish and Swedish and French, and hopefully add another language later in life. But in that one, but to come science, I need to. I I don't know now why, but in high school I took all the possible science courses, math and physics and chemistry, whatever was available, 
and after that I went to do applied physics degree in uh, in Adelaide in Australia in University of South Australia and I think I need to give shout out to that university because they studying physics it gave me this uh, opportunity to learn through failure like I think best way to learn is through failure and we all well people admitted or not we fail constantly and in the in physics you were allowed to fail things didn't have to work out you just need to write the report about it of what happened and what for example if nothing worked out what went wrong so i guess and in the same and in the same university i got my first research internship and my first first author paper and that environment was so i don't know welcoming and everyone was helpful and i was try things and things happen to work out during that research internship that I got my first paper. So at that point I thought, okay, maybe I can do this research thing. But, but for me, I'm also, also at the point that, like Sessa said, I love problem solving. So I'm also at the point that I don't necessarily need to do science tomorrow in my life to be okay, as long as I'm able to I guess solve problems like we organized a scientific conference during my PhD and I loved organizing that one because that whole thing we had no idea what we we're doing and the whole thing was just problem solving from start to finish. So hopefully that also is a profound answer. Thank you. That's um, we didn't. We I guess I didn't uh, factor in the idea that with two answers, then they're pushing to uh, yeah um, outdo the profundity <laughs> profundity of the other. <laughs> Which is no, I'm joking. That's that's amazing, and and maybe I'm, it's it's actually prompting me to consider. Maybe I need to shift the nature of my question because I I'm hearing your that you're highlighting the the aspect of problem solving without without um narrowing that problem solving down into any area of of um yeah any area at all which is which is somewhat artificial because life you know everything is involved in in other things and we learn that more and more the interrelatedness of things so um thank you both of you for bringing that up and and being so sincere in your response then my follow-up question for both of you again is where can you lead us um, to a path that that brings you here to your current research from from where we left off in maybe in your phd program um you know or um sesha or Jonas, where you were mentioning um, publishing your first paper but how do how did you find yourself in doing the work that you're doing today and we'll start with sesha again thank you Cesar can start, but I can guess that Cesar's answer will somehow cover my answer as well, but I'll, I'll continue after Cesar. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks, Jonas. Uh, so uh, this was uh, uh, after my PhD. Um, I moved to Finland for a postdoc, so it was a three-year postdoc. Uh, opportunity. Uh, so for the first in the first meeting that I had with my boss, he said, look, I don't have anything specific for you to work on i have certain topics that uh, i can propose and it's your up to you so for me uh, my 
natural inclination is bringing together uh, multiple different things into one single system. So I like working at the interfaces. Like if you bring, like let's say, a composite material, you got to put three or four things together to make to make a function out of it. That's always my uh, passion and inclination. Uh, in, always been my passion and inclination since my PhD days. So we started working on it, and our lab works on DNA-based material so okay let's what can we do with dna and what can we do with nanoparticles so that's how uh, the whole idea uh, the genesis of the idea came about like just trying to explore things play with multiple materials and let's see what we can do so the first six months of this work have been pure exploration and later we it took us a year to come uh, come about with a solid foundation on what we want to work on so yeah that's pretty much the whole uh, uh, story behind the work thank you and Younes, would you like to add to that give your own perspective uh, yes uh, i my daughter is doing something at the same time so <laughs> we need to wander into that direction Yes, I guess for me as the learning part, all my degrees are in different fields. And after this, I'm moving to Stockholm where Cesar was before to switch on to a completely new new thing again. Sorry, so let, oh, let, me, let me continue. Yeah, so I was gonna say here, this is we have a, we hear a lot of children in the background. With yes, our my daughter is uh, working working on some some stuff over there. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but yeah. So I guess for me, I have a degree also in uh, in chemistry and applied physics and functional materials, and then I was working on DNA on nanoscale on my previous paper and I wanted to somehow I had an idea of bringing it into more of a macro scale so I can make use of my my degree in materials engineering and then Cesar came along and then as he said the whole time six months was just exploration of what can we do and this is where we ended up hopefully that covers the answer yeah thank you for bringing us up to the present and and also i i want to um mention one more time that how important i hear that your experience with what you call the opportunity to learn through failure how important that is and and that um it's it's just a really it's it's a great great um attitude to bring to light here in this space because so much of the work is is based on your ability to fr think freely and follow that motivation. And so if you are able to learn through failure and see failure as an innate part of your work, then I can only see that as a positive, um, a positive aspect driving you forward. So I, I thank you also for, for speaking those words here today. Yeah, because I think the people see finished product and they think maybe that's just how it came, but to get to that point, it's just a series of failures, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sesha, you were in mic. Did, did, were you going to respond in there? Oh, well, uh, that's the thing. Uh, I 
don't the thing is for me the pro, uh, it's all about the process so uh, in when you are doing something you would uh, experience failures or successes so every failure or every success is a learning experience so uh, as long as you're not focused on the result but on the process so my belief is you will end up with what you want or what you desire so it's all about the process and it's all uh, finding that one problem that you are deeply uh, committed to during that period and trying to strategize how you are going to solve that problem so the strategy and the execution is more important than the final end product i'm writing that down <laughs> speaking of profound yeah because if you're yeah the strategy and the execution are more important than the the final product because what it sounds like you're saying also is that that um the goal may shift and if you are are truly in the moment and observing um what the results are of your work or your research yeah then then you're in that moment and then what you what you create will become will become meaningful and and thank you thank you yeah i don't think necessarily the end product is what you started with because you cannot you cannot predict everything and how the say the data how the system will behave you can i don't think it's a good approach to have some sort of idea and try to push everything into that mold but more like see where it takes you what actually comes out of it and adapt to that right yeah then you're ready to see then you're really doing your research and and you're really reporting on what what your what your true findings are so at this point um you are both welcome to deliver your talk and we have your link pinned up above and depending on your uh, preference sometimes guests prefer to have a Q&A following their presentation some guests prefer to have the Q&A during the presentation so we want to make sure that that um, we are facilitating whichever your preference is so that you have I the best time preference, here. Is, preference I think is uh, during Hope it's an informal discussion where people can chime in, right, Shesha? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's yeah, let's keep it as informal as possible, so you can uh, 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 stop us at any moment where we're uh, you're not able to follow what we're saying or any questions. Uh, we're more than happy to answer. While the, let's keep it as a conversation. I guess mm -hmm. that'll be good for both, all of us. Okay, thank you for letting us know. So having said that, um, when guests who would like, um, his friends who would like to come up on stage, please flash your mics so that um, we, the moderators, can can call on you and make sure that, that everyone has an opportunity to ask questions of our guests. Um, there's also a room chat and, and we will be um, reading questions that people might put in there who would rather put a question there and not come up on stage. So that's not a responsibility that you need to worry about. We'll take care of that for you. So um, with that, the mic is both of yours. Thank you very much. Welcome. All right, thank you so much, Victoria. Jonas, uh, I'll... Uh, yes, you can start just... Uh, okay, cool. Uh, you can uh, call my name and... <laughs> yeah, yes. 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 Um, I hope 
uh, everyone has access to the presentation. Uh, so uh, first thing, uh, the title of our work is uh, uh, called DNA Engineered Hydrogels with Light Adaptive Plasmonic Responses. So that's the title with which we published our work. So I'd like to just uh, talk briefly about the inspiration uh, to this kind of work. It, so it comes from nature. So if you go to the second slide in the introduction, you could find this colorful uh, reptile called uh, chameleon. So the speciality of chameleon is it's got these uh, cells in, the, in its skin. So whenever a chameleon experiences any stimuli, it could be a it could be a prey or it could be a uh, uh, predator or it could be even a changes to the environment that it is surrounded by. There are complex temperature changes that's occurring in its body. So when these complex temperature changes occur, they send these signals to its brain. As a result. The skin, the skin expands and contracts. So the skin contains these skin cells called iridophores. So when the uh, when it is in when there are temperature changes, the skin contracts and expands. And these cells also, uh, as a result, contract and expand. So the distance between these cells changes. As a result, they generate color because these are called photonic crystals. They're nothing but photon. Photonic means light, photon, here light. So the way the light interacts with these crystals generates colors based on the temperature changes occurring inside its body. So the, the colors are dynamic. It, it gives a plethora of colors in the visible region, both the primary colors like the red, green, blue, as well as the secondary colors like the cyan, magenta, uh, yellow, etc. So it's fascinating. So the way chameleons adapt to the environment and the uh, environment and the cues that it gets uh, uh, is a fascinate, fascinating example of nature where it can generate dynamic colors. So here the key word is adaptivity. So it adapts to the environment and quickly changes its colors. It could be for camouflage, it could be for hunting, etc., etc. So this is the big picture. This is where we draw our inspiration from. How do we generate colors in, mat in materials, artificial materials inspired by nature? That's the whole essence of our work. If you go to the third slide, uh, I hope you can watch the video play and you can see how chameleon dynamically changes its color. It's a short video of 10 seconds or more than that. Yeah. So in the video, it's te uh, the temperature is being changed for chameleon. You could see how rapidly the skin contracts and expands and you can see the colors changing from initial green to a wide range of red, yellow, etc. So this is a live experiment. It was it's not our work, but it's done by some other group to understand how, what is happening in in these animals. So so the underlying uh, uh, elements that 
a help uh, or that are functional in the case of chameleon or you have these chromatophores chromatophores chroma means here color so these are color forming elements in the case so that's one of the essential element second the stimulus so what kind of cue you are providing environmental cue you are providing and actuation here actuation indicates how the skin contracts and expands so when you put all these three elements together they form you can term them as a cascade so each one of them have to work in tandem for the chromat for the chameleon to exhibit a color or exhibit multiple colors so oh, we got yeah sorry i was going to say can i ask um how does the cells know which color to actually make like if a chameleon's in an environment like sand or something how does it know to do a kind of sandy color so th that's the, the molecular mechanism is still under investigation but what actually happens is so these cells are uh, spaced at regular intervals so on the skin you have these particular cells they're spaced at regular let's say the space at 10 nanometers and when you see a cue it suddenly expands to 20 nanometers so that kind of gives you a change in the visible spectrum the color changes and the molecular mechanism is still under investigation but the, the, so the physical mechanism is well established so you've got these cells on its uh, skin and it expands and contracts voila you got the color but the molecular mechanism is a still a mystery <laughs> cool thank you yeah so yeah so when these elements put together we got we get these cascades so we thought okay let's engineer these cascades in these artificial materials so how do we engineer and what kind of materials we can produce and how do we get colors out of it so um our current work so we wanted to we wanted to use light as a stimulus for a uh, few reasons light is a very uh, uh, firstly it's a remote control you can just uh, hold the light you don't have to get in contact you can shine the light from a distance so that's why it's easy to use and you get simple light sources from everywhere from like you can use a normal electric bulb or any light it's very simple and we need to establish actuation mechanism so to the establish actuation mechanism you need a skin like material uh, so our skin like material the uh, closest that we can get a materials called hydrogels so hydrogels here simple hydro is water gel is a polymer like i'm sure um, most of us would have used these face packs these gel face packs that people put on their faces for refreshment or for their skin maintenance etc so these are same materials uh, that mimic the skin so that's why we used hydrogels here and why do we need hydrogels to exhibit colors so that's why we use hydrogel here and the most important thing is we need dynamic features of chameleon how do we get these dynamic features so we use dna strands so yes, do you DNA... want, to, want me to jump in for the application 
Yeah, I haven't yet come there. Just, All right. Yeah. So DNA is quite dynamic. Uh, in your, uh, it's a double helical structure. It's got these A, T, G, C bases. That's the uh, bases that contain DNA, and they're uh, very periodically arranged. And these DNA is quite dynamic. It is sensitive to how much salt is present in the body, uh, how much salt not in the body but in the vicinity of the uh, gel and it is very sensitive to temperature etc so that's why we need a dynamic components and the third component we we used is nanoparticles or gold nanoparticles why gold uh, well gold is interesting firstly it's a beautiful uh, metal that you can wear it on your uh, body it's nice it's uh since the egyptian civilization through the ancient civilizations gold has been a very recurring uh, item that uh, human beings have used as both as a medicine as well as ornaments but that's as a bulk material but when you reduce the size of gold atom a gold material into nanoscale nanoscale is like uh one million times smaller than your hair like that small gold exhibits interesting colors so it is very important for us to use gold here to generate colors otherwise we wouldn't get the uh so the gold here generates colors the dna gives the dynamic features and hydrogel provides a skin-like environment so when we put this together and we use light as a stimulus we got uh, we managed to get our colors that we showed in the paper um in case if you have any questions i'm happy to answer um yeah um see the gold when it goes to nanoscale then is that um capable of reflecting any of the spectrum like any color um and well, it, it depends on the like size of the gold nanorods of where would it absorb, where would he have this uh, two different absorption peaks. So you can tune that completely. For example, if we're talking about gold nanorods of, you know, the aspect ratio of it. So then you can also tune the peak of if it's happening in the visible range or in the near infrared range. So is this like turning the nanorods or something to reflect the correct spectrum to someone who can see it, something like that? Uh, yes, like in our case, it all, it, it works as like uh, absorbing our light stimulus. So also like the double effect of we can heat it up on its absorption spectra, but it's also then depending on so after we change its orientation it depending on like where will they absorb after that with the polarized light, what, what will it transmit? So they act as by themselves, but also in nanorods also, when they come closer to each other, they act together. So they act in unison as well. That's fascinating. Thank you. Jonas, uh, you can talk about the fabrication. Okay. So I can bring some, uh, as Cesar already mentioned about the DNA here and called nanorods. If you're like me at my start of my PhD, I had done like chemistry and 
all this kind of uh, maybe never really done any biology or anything like this. So DNA for me was a genetic carrier material. And then starting of my PhD, wait, you can synthesize any any DNA you want. Like Sesha mentioned, this four bases, so it's completely programmable. So for our case, we were in our lab and in my previous research for working previously that you can actually put DNA all these gold nanorods. And nowadays DNA has the synthetic DNA's price has come down per base constantly. And it's and these companies that synthesize it, you're able to get any sort of modifications at the end of the DNA. And so what we had is DNA that is modified with this uh, tile modifications at the end that has this uh, coordination chemistry towards the gold, gold, so in this case, gold nanorods, so we can attach them to the gold nanorods. And this, in few years, this way, even during my research in PhD, the way or the whole process of how do we attach this DNA on the gold has like changed completely, that it used to take days or several hours or like whole day of process that you get it. But now what we used here is we just freeze them together. So we have this gold nanorods and DNA hanging in the solution in water and we freeze it. You put it in a freezer for one hour and voila, it's there. And then we hybridize another, so we add another complementary DNA strand that will create this double helical structure of a whole shell of DNA covering the gold nanorods. And this is then functionalized with another group called acridite that will be able to conjugate itself into this polymer matrix that we have chosen here. So we have this completely like synthetic DNA in this uh, very cheap, like I shouldn't say cheap because that makes it sound cheap, but inexpensive uh, building material of this uh, synthetic polymer. So uh, adding them together with this uh, radical initiator, I mean, shine some UV light on it, we can create these hydrocell networks like any shape on any thickness or anywhere we want because we can like in this case, remotely control it on it when we shine the UV light on it. So just 10 minutes of shining light and we can trap these uh, dynamic gold nanorods into this synthetic polymer network. And now we have this completely programmable DNA covering in it and we could program it in, well, in whichever way we wanted, but in here we wanted to show like three different DNA duplexes that would show like three different melting temperatures and also they have completely different mechanical characteristics and from that completely like different affinity to find these gold nanorods so the mechanical characteristics of the whole bulk material then is also affected of the cross-linking dna of the concentration so the whole process from the starting point of how much dna will bind on the gold nanorods then will directly affect on the mechanical properties of what kind of shell do we get in the end. So not only we can program of where would this shell have this transient, this temperature that it transforms 
to one state to another, but also by programming the DNA, we can get what kind of gel do we get at the end. And you can continue, Sessa. And if there's any questions at this point, free, free to ask. I have one, um, please. Yes. Um, when you mentioned mechanical properties, that sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, when you say mechanical properties, what does that mean? Does it, is it like just shown a different color or does it mean it can actually be constructed in a fundamentally different way or, or what, like what does for that example mean? a simple of how how soft the gel is like how stretchable it is like we created these ultra stretchable gels that we can stretch them to thousand percent percentage before they break so just for example that that is amazing so you could have a a material then that could become really stretchy, then not really stretchy. Yeah, like it becomes like completely soft, for example, that it's difficult to handle, or this becomes that you can just stretch it back and forth and it recovers. That is so cool. Um, is that a little bit like that could make materials like, like clothes that would fit anybody? Like it could, you know, be made flexible, stretch around someone, and then be made not flexible once it fits? Yes, Absolutely. you can create some sort of a super wet, sticky material or something that is feels like some sort of a stretchable tape, for example. Whew. Before I ask too many questions, I'm going to let you continue the talk because that's incredible. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Sasha. You can continue. Yeah. Uh, so in the next slide of the fabrication... I cannot hear you that well anymore. Hello, now? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so in the next next slide, we uh, after the fabrication. Uh, so like I showed in the in the about chameleon, the skin stretches and contracts. So we wanted to first investigate if we by mere stretching we can generate colors. So what we did was we took a piece of hydrogel and we stretched it uh, to various strains. Like it could be it can be it was hundred percent, two hundred percent, three hundred like how much we can stretch so when we stretched uh to over 400 percent we uh, as you can see we can see colors uh polarized colors uh green and red in uh, this case so in this case polarized in the means since li uh, so light is both waves and particles right so you have these light particles moving in random directions the light that we see every day. So when you what a polarizer does is it filters light and allows only one particular direction to uh, pass through it. So we uh, we used a polarizer in this case to filter a random light into a particular direction light so that it interacts with the nano rod gold nano rod. So when the light and the gold nano rod are in the same direction you get a particular color like in this case it's red when the light and the rod are in perpendicular uh, perpendicular direction to each other you get red color in this case so that's how by mere by just stretching the uh, hydrogel we can generate colors Uh, if anybody has any questions, please.
this way again. Um, that's amazing. And um, and you said the control of these rods are what defines what color you actually make them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And how do you like? How do you control them to the point that you could say this would make this would turn the rods to make red. This would turn the rods to make blue. How do you uh, have that kind of fine control over them? Yeah, so it's a mix of a few things. Like for any uh, material you have to make, like let's say in this case of gold nano rods, you need to start with gold atoms. Like you start with gold atoms and you use chemicals so that these gold atoms come together. And there are you can what you can control is initial concentration, how much you are adding gold how much gold you're adding and how how much time you're letting these rods sit in a uh, tube so it so by playing with the concentration and the time you can control what sizes of gold nano rods you are getting and thereby you can generate the colors you want ah i think i understand um i'll probably have more questions later no, i will have more questions later but please continue um, um, Aloha, yes, Nicola. Can I also ask the question, please? Absolutely, yeah. Nicola. Thank you so much. I am just stunned about this topic. Um, and thank you so much to be here and share your wisdom and knowledge and research. I am like, it blows my mind and I'm super excited to be here and to learn. Um, my question is, you talk about hydrogel and DNA and all the nice things um, have you and you talked about chameleon as well have you ever considered also to take the octopus under the microscope as it has a natural hydrogel on its skin and it's even better than the chameleon with adapting its color and the follow-up question is i heard i don't know if it's true but ginger heads like red heads people with red hair they have right. more more gold in their system which gives them their hair color and the freckles and also like their their stuff, but they have not the ability to really absorb color. The, the skin is very pale. So I was just wondering if yeah. you considered those aspects in your research too. Thank you so much. This is Nicola speaking. Uh, uh, thank you, Nicola, for the uh, for those interesting questions. We definitely did read about cephalopods. These are uh, again uh, creatures that are present in oceans and seas that can camouflage and attack their uh, prey, uh, prey and uh, uh, and save themselves from getting attacked so we did uh, study a bit in the sense not we're not really biologists or to bring these uh, um, organisms under the microscope to watch but there is intense research going on in mimicking these features of cephalopods and octopus definitely uh, but the aspect of red hair we haven't really heard this is interesting to know that uh, the shine yeah that, that was something something totally totally new to me yeah i mean yeah it's yeah it's interesting we'll definitely read about it uh, we'll, uh, yeah that is yes definitely yeah yeah but like Sasha said yes we i think at least i took some inspiration through all these of of these animals that are able to change their pigments and all that so i think all of them as a unison act as an inspiration here 
I don't know how about you, but as you mentioned, the chameleon, the octopus also has a much better way to also not change only the color, but the structure of its environment it can adapt to rocks and to corals. So it's not just the color, it's also the um, shape of the skin it adapts. So it can even better merge with its, with its environment. I don't know if it matters in your research with the color scheme, but there's so much we can learn from nature for sure. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom again. <laughs> well, uh, uh, you're right. Like uh, we did start our research in that direction where we wanted to make materials that can even adapt or bend according to the light stimulus we provided. So we initially started with that, but uh, we got to a point we felt that it's too difficult to do this in a short, like the given amount of time we had, but Definitely. Octopus is a big inspiration for mechanical engineers uh, to generate or to build these uh, robots called soft robots that can bend, crawl and jump that kind of uh, uh, objects. So, yeah, thank you. So if I may ask, where are you going to apply those amazing when you crack it and you can use it like for a grander scale where do you want to apply this amazing yeah <laughs> research or stuff you're actually experimenting with i mean where do you see it to be in uh, our yeah <laughs> applied in our daily living well uh it could be uh, so since we we work on fundamental research but uh, a couple of things come pop into my head the first thing is it could be used as uh, these uh, display stickers that stickers that you uh, stick onto the walls where you can dynamically change colors like let's say you have something stuck on your window and when the uh, when it's in the morning you have sun hitting the sticker and you get to see particular color when the sun goes down the colors change so these dynamic uh, uh, stickers on the windows, probably that. And the other thing could be uh, just like a, for instance, you, if you change the shape of this gold nanoparticle, you make you can make it uh, uh, sensitive to UV light. Maybe like for people who have a sensitive skin, they can be used as sensors. You can just wrap this around, and when you're exposed, like you would know how much you've been exposed to UV light. So kind of like a sensor with a color patch that kind of application perhaps what about clothing and yeah or, yeah or cars. that's a good idea yeah you can since these are biodegradable materials they can be uh, certainly be incorporated into dynamic clothing where you like switch colors your t-shirts or pants or whatever clothing uh, apparel so yeah have you ever considered temperature into research as well? Because there's already color, you know, you have those toys and clothes and stuff, which are mood rings, right? They are changed color by temperature. Do you, do you also apply it in your research? Yeah, yeah. That's the next part where I talk about uh, how temperature, where we talk about how temperature uh, modulates the color responses. Oh, exciting. And then add on sound, please. Frequency of sound. I'm, I'm very, I'm very <laughs> excited. Thank you. <laughs> that sounds exciting sound. I have not used that stimulus before, but maybe it's the next avenue. Yeah. Uh, 
so uh, so uh, the next part the next slide is about uh, what we call photothermal energy photo is light thermal is heat and energy is energy yeah so these gold rods they can not they not only generate color have the ability to uh, generate color but they also have the ability to uh, take in get excited when you shine light as in they take in the light they absorb all the light energy and they dissipate the taken energy in the form of heat so they are you can call these as uh, uh small heating rods or heat heat small heaters that uh nano heaters so when you shine light or when you hit with a source of energy it takes in and releases out heat so since this heat is released in an environment of hydrogel which is water it can heat up the surrounding water or surrounding temperature and surrounding material so the heat generated here can be it depends on the intensity of the light but uh, some reports say that this can go up to even 500 degrees celsius so very potent heat generators and you don't need to use these a lot you can have tiny bits amount and you can heat it to high temperatures you know do you want to go for the next and do um the light in action light in action and how the adaptive we studied these no i will at least go for the light in action so as uh, cesar said we can then program completely of this uh, dna chance to respond to this heating and as we have uh, called nanorods that are also synthesized and designed to absorb the light that we want so these called nanorods that we use were designed to absorb red light so we could what we wanted is we could use completely inexpensive materials the building materials but also stimulus you don't need any fancy system here it's just you could possibly use just any visible light led but in here we use the red light led which is at 660 nanometers as is the absorbance peak for these gold nanorods so then we can tune the intensity of light completely remotely shine it to any spot of the gel we want and heat it up and you get this like it hits on the one spot and heats up most in there and then he has this energy cascade that is uh, he heat is uh, moving around the gel at the at the different pace so at the center you get the most heat but in uh, this uh, circle around uh, around the spot you get less and less and heat so you get different uh, gradient of uh, response here and then you tune your dna and then you get a different different response from the material from the heating so as we previously said the gold nanorods act as the heating element over here and then the dna will respond to this heat as they are thermoresponsive they will have some sort of melting point where 50 of 50% of them will dissociate from each other. So there's two strands together and they become one strand. And this will affect the overall like mechanical properties of this gel as it goes from this more solid-like to liquid-like transition on certain temperature. So then we can tune by this way of releasing them. And then they have a 
they have an ability then or room more when they're not bound to the network so tightly anymore to align themselves better. And then when they align, they are acting as a unison of then like transmitting different parts of the polarized lights. And that's where we get these colors. And as we have DNA, which is completely thermoresponsive. So when we take away the stimulus and let them cool down and these gels to absorb water from the surroundings, we can get back to the starting state. So this is, we get to, we heat it up with the visible light. We get to a certain state where we get certain colors and then we recover it and we are at the starting point and this can be cycled. So they are completely recoverable. There's no waste created though. Anything degradation happening in the cell. Cesar, do you want to continue? Yeah. Or, yeah uh, are there questions? Yeah, I mean, I'm like uh, Yunus has mostly uh, told, uh, explained very clearly what the system is. So essentially, light is here to generate, uh, like Nicola asked, uh, we generate temperature responses in the gel, and the temperature responses modifies the material features. Like you have a solid like material first and it slightly becomes liquid because you're heating it up and because it's becoming liquid the rods are the rods can freely swim around and align in the direction in a particular direction since this is a polarized we use polarized light as you see in the adaptive responses slide slide number eight you could see based on the in, uh, temperature we reach we also we can control the intensity of coloration and once we put it in a humidity chamber these are hydrogels they recover back and we get the colors uh, we get it's no more colorless so we can cycle this system uh, multiple times like you know said most importantly there is no waste and it's it is simple light source so these two are the uh, essential highlights of this work yeah any happy to answer any questions if in with respect to this uh, these slides yeah i'm sorry if this is a really basic question but you mentioned polarized light and everything and i'm not as familiar as with this as i'd like to be but i read something a while ago about this is how certain sunglasses work there's like a coating on them and something like the molecules that are on the lens are a certain shape yeah so it only lets some of the spectrum through or as, please correct me if i'm completely wrong here but it was something like that is, is this what you're doing to sort of funnel the light that you want to and to reflect off of the gold or am i misunderstanding the process oh no you're spot on jamie you're absolutely right i was about to give the example of sunglasses where there is a small thick thin coating on your glasses and which will allow only certain kind of light to pass through so it will only transmit only certain kind of light that's why you when you wear sunglasses you get that protection from the sun like your eyes don't get strained because a lot of the bad part is filtered off uh, similarly in this case we wanted to test colors in the visible range so we had to use a polarizer to filter uh, not in all direct so we we let a particular direction of the light to pass through our material so that the, the transmitted colors that we see are uh, the respective red and green colors so it exactly works on the principle of sunglasses and the polarizers yeah.
that's amazing. And um, one last question here is, um, <clears throat> if it's using that uh, with that principle, how are you, ch I'm guessing you have to change what light gets in and out. Um, what is doing that? Uh, sorry, um, Jamie. Would you please repeat that? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to think of it in my head. But okay, so the polarized, uh, the polarized like material, um, it's letting in a certain spectrum of light, yeah, to reflect off of the gold rods. Is that correct? Let's say uh, uh, transmitting. It allows transmission of light. Okay. Right. Okay. I, I, yeah. I need to think about question then before I can ask it again. Cause I'm, yeah. Please continue, please continue. Uh, so uh, to summarize, uh, we're almost, at, we are at the end of the slide. To summarize, what we demonstrated here is something uh, lifelike systems. That's the key word here where life, the inspiration comes from, any inspiration that comes from nature or biology can be termed as lifelike systems, be it on any, or it can be any organism. It can be a single cell organism or it can be a, a multicellular organism like us human beings so second thing is uh, dynamic colors so we can generate red green colors now based on the orientation or the polarized response of these gold nano rods our efforts right now or in future will be focused towards the getting that elusive blue color into the picture so that we can create once we get these primary colors red green blue these can be mixed in specific ratios to generate uh, uh, the secondary colors in uh, of the uh, light spectrum and uh, most importantly we are uh, looking at uh, making uh, green displays the so-called green displays in the sense if the current displays you see in tvs and uh, any screens are contain a, a lot of toxic elements like liquid crystals which are not biodegradable but imagine if you can run a whole display uh, based on dna and hydrogels they are green and if you once you're not happy with the once it's broken down you can just throw it in the ground throw it in put it in your uh, biodegradable waste basket and they degrade in no time so the whole idea is to push towards green and sustainable display technologies for the future so this work is like this work is uh, like probably the first step in the whole effort and hopefully uh, in our lifetime we would be able to achieve the dream of creating sustainable display technologies sasha oh, my, oh jamie sorry go ahead jamie oh, no, no please go, you go first oh, you're so amazing jamie i just um I, I admire your curiosity and your spirit thank you i i gave you a sweet follow he's nicholas speaking um so thank you for being here and thank you Katerina and all the others to create this room. So Sasha, you just mentioned something about the green light. I am also in a, I'm a light nerd. I'm all about light and I learned a lot that actually our screens are really bad because of the blue light, especially for the gentleman. It you know, in the nighttime when you use it, we are used to look at red light to give us a momentum so we can fall asleep, but actually blue light creates a lot of um, estrogen, which for women is not so bad, but for men, it's for men, not yeah. so good. So my, yeah. I was I was wondering, as the blue blocks exist and all these things, 
is this possible that you can create a light which actually filters the blue light in the way in order to make people fall asleep better while actually looking at the screen? Because I have many clients, I work also as a counselor, which have sleep issues. And I say, well, it's the blue light, it keeps you active. So ideally wear blue blocks, but ideally three hours before bedtime, don't use any screen time. So I was wondering- Three hours, really? Pardon? <laughs> Three hours, really? Yeah, three hours. That's... Your body needs three hours away from blue light in order to get into the, to um, produce the hormones which makes you like want to sleep and rest. So, um, but blue blocks work, but not, of course, not, not a hundred percent. So usually ideally is three hours before bedtime, don't use the screen. So I was wondering if you're working also on that to like filter the, the the blue light out so people can, you know, look longer. Maybe it's maybe it's not the ideal thing, but people, you know, be let's be realistic. Who is not watching anything three hours before bedtime? I don't do it. Um, so yeah, just wondering if there's anything in in your research too. Well, uh, that's a very that's an interesting uh, point. We haven't thought about that kind, but it's definitely a direction that we could uh, think about in future. Uh, because uh, so right now, I all my glasses have this uh, coating for blue light filtering when because I work on screens, and so uh, it, the coating does help filtering out the blue light. But uh, we haven't thought about uh, making any blue light based filters, but. Uh, that's an interesting, that's a very good suggestion, Nicola. Thank you. Yeah, that's an, that's an excellent point. I mean, thought about it. Yeah. But uh, the whole effort is in this case to first generate uh, colors and control them dynamically and then hopefully fabricate, uh, demonstrate uh, uh, active uh, displays that can uh, uh, show these, that, that can show these colors. Uh, uh, yeah. I did have that thought before when you said the active um, display thing. I was wondering, I didn't know if this was like too ambitious, but you were talking about, could you have like, like a single sheet of something that could um, continually change to have like a, I don't know, like an entire book's worth of of something put onto this single sheet or something like that? Yeah. Like, you know, like information, diagrams, yeah. things. Yeah, potentially, potentially that's the direction we would like to go where and we can uh, make these uh, into single sheet like materials and uh, use electric field, use electric, like all our displays work on electric electricity. So use electricity uh, to generate colors. And I just had an amazing thought um, because this stuff, I was reading your paper as well, and it mentions how you can do things like swell material and flatten it out like you said changing the texture and stuff like that yeah yeah um would mm -hmm. this be viable with the single sheet because i'm visually impaired myself so i have to use a lot of accessible um devices to interact with things like graphs and stuff right um could this material be like a, a sheet that's like essentially flat and, and, and clean but you put like sad diagram uh, the picture of a diagram through it and as opposed to showing it through color instead it actually makes it bumpy or raises it so i can actually tactily feel a diagram uh well 
well there are actually works and people have done it, done using uh, tactile based uh, uh, mechano based uh, materials like for instance uh, uh, when you apply certain pressure on the material you would feel certain kind of response from the material and that's being pursued uh, uh, in the field that we are working on but that's a very important suggestion jenny uh, um, where, where i think the 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 uh, beauty of this part is you can tailor these materials to the kind of forces you want so you can tailor these uh, you can generate you can print them you can uh, tune the structure so that a particular user would need certain kind of forces that they apply yes they are they can be tailorable that is so incredible that is amazing Jamie 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 here's Nicholas speaking you just um as you mentioned that you are actually visually impaired and i was asking the question before we went through heat thank you gentlemen for taking us through the heat how it can also um our color but um i am very interested in the sound how acoustic can also acoustic is a frequency right it always has um, has a spectrum and i don't know Jamie if you ever heard people actually can color has a certain frequency and can be captured so visually impaired people they get some like an implant or something like that so they can get a sense of course um and see how some people even claim that they can feel the resonance of colors so they can actually dress themselves according to a symphony of colors of depending of what sound their or frequency they get from the colors by simply sensing it not seeing it so i was wondering if your research can expand also in the acoustic and the sound on the sound level because that would be so exciting like for instance Jamie I don't know Jamie if you're um been visually impaired all your life or does it happen um later if i may well, ask I, i'm happy to reach out to you later Nicola. i'd love to talk to you about this yes. afterwards if that's cool um sure. because i think we've got a lot to talk about um thank you gentlemen Nick. please continue well uh you i mean definitely there are already works there where people use sound waves to uh dynamically generate and modulate colors because sound is such a clean source and uh, and everyone's got their own range of uh, own frequencies of sounds that one can generate there they are unique sometimes they can unique and can overlap so definitely that is also the uh, these materials are in the uh, the research is towards making these as personalizable as possible to suit one's uh, needs and uh, requirements and um also you mentioned um you can get the different spectrums could this we already mentioned clothes and you already mentioned changing colors of clothes and you also mentioned the visual spectrum could it could you actually have ultraviolet could you have it where like um you know like somebody could be wearing um the kind of clothes that they go to somewhere and, and it reflects on like black light or or it shows non-visible so other people would say goggles could see you but nobody else could see you because <laughs> it's dark stuff like that yes yes definitely because in the all the individual parts of this whole material are tunable starting from the nanoparticles the dna to the polymer network so in a, in a case you could switch the 
called nanoparticles to some quantum dots as well or some other materials so everything can be like it's you can switch all everything around in this whole thing that could be such an ultimate cool um, camouflage material like this will replace camel as a camel yeah this will replace camel <laughs> <laughs> And another question here as well is um, when you were talking about the softening and hardening, I'm, I'm a little bit like um, unsure with uh, this this part. When you say, um, okay, I, I'm, I'm thinking what I think of it in my head and tell me where I get, get it wrong. Yeah. Um, you say it softens the, the material or whatever softens and allows like the gold rods to all join together mm -hmm. in a controlled way mm -hmm. um how do you then separate these clumps again because i'm guessing that you're talking about this is like almost at like the atomic level right you're putting these um gold rods together how do you manage to separate them and it just seems to be such a incredibly fine-tuned thing just soften it and put everything together that makes sense to me like any any pot with a bowl of soup can do that but yeah well uh so uh since uh so it's a hydrogel so it's it's a polymer with lots of water right so when you heat up the uh, when you heat up uh the gold rod uh the surrounding water gets hot super hot like in this case it goes about 80 degrees celsius so what happens is as a result because of the heat the material also kind of melts because of the heat generator but it does not it when i say melting it's local melting that means wherever you put the light on that area melts so when the when the area surrounding the rod melts so let's say a rod initially is in a solid like system it's all completely dense, solid, and the rod doesn't have any uh, uh, room to move around. But when it melts, the rod, ha uh, when the uh, surrounding area becomes less dense, more liquid-like, the uh, rod has uh, room to wriggle around. So as a result, uh, the rod orients itself uh, uh, in a direction uh, which gives them strong colors i hope i answered your question uh, yeah yeah thank you that was actually really helpful and you're even you're even able to control the vibrancy of the color as well then absolutely you got it like i mean thank you so much you found the that part as well yeah absolutely you get you can color control the intensity as well yeah exactly that, is so, that can be adapted to like every, this could be adapted to everything that I can think of. This is so mind blowing for me. Yeah. And um, I was also thinking as well, like, um, I, I keep thinking of how it can actually affect, um, like, I keep thinking of clothes actually, um, and how it can do things like um, make, making places in, on, on, on a suit or something more rigid or softer like if it could actually work as like sports material and all sorts of things could is that is that me just daydreaming here or could it be expanded to stuff like that 
No, no. Yeah, you mean you mean you heat up your body and then you you start sweating and also your your clothes get softer. Well, <laughs> is this the direction you were thinking? That, that thing, that thing for sure. But I was more thinking of like you know how when someone goes to do say like American football or something mm-hmm. like that, and they could have like a a shirt that hardens to give them a bit more protection, um, but it can soften up afterwards or. Or even, um, I don't really want him to go the, the military route, but could it be like a like protection against, um, a, you know, attack or stuff like that? I, I don't really want to go down that a particular dark tunnel, but, you know, could it? Like more like protective gear that is adaptable to the forces it experiences. Something on those lines? Yeah, something cool like that. Well, uh Sure, like you can make these uh, materials flexible. I mean, these materials are flexible. Sure, there are opportunities in future where one can generate uh, these kind of protective uh, uh, gears and that are uh, suitable for everybody. Yeah, like, like for instance, uh, uh, if you see uh, when we as we age, our skin loses its mechanical properties like when you're young you've got this tight skin but as you grow older your skin becomes loosened up and sat in different parts of the body so what happens is these wearable technologies like these apple iWatches and fitbits they are not really customizable right they are made for one everybody like they don't really care about how your skin looks or how your skin feels so, but if you make those electronic gadgets with materials like this, and you can clearly adapt them to the nature of the skin, and uh, they're much, they'll be much more comfortable for the user to wear. So, uh, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that did. Uh, it actually made me even wonder if there was um, such a way of having something like, um, uh, like, like, so if somebody was wearing something like a. Uh, like, like a suit and there could be like a, a button at a certain place in the suit that when you press this button it's actually more like a light emitting diode that it activates like through the suit causing yeah. the, the the light to like change the suit to have more control because some of the stuff you're describing made me wonder how do you have direct control because i get the reflexive nature of your being outside it gets warmer or it's bright and it does something that's that's awesome but i was also wondering about like the more direct like i want it to be bright red even if it's daytime or nighttime or that kind of thing um if such a sort of internal mechanism could be constructed around something like that well, uh, we haven't given that much thought about it, but, uh, but this session has definitely given us a lot of ideas to ponder about uh, well, and incorporate into our mid, uh, research. So what happens is uh, generally when we uh, start a research project or a piece of work, we don't really look at who the end user is. And most often uh, we generate our own problems that don't exist and we try to find solutions but talking uh, but talking to a diverse group of people really helps to understand what like that's where you see uh, the companies that make products that people want they are more successful 
similarly hopefully researchers would also adapt that kind of attitude uh, to understand what really people want and focus their research towards that yeah, I'm, to... I'm, I'm seeing hand gliders i'm seeing umbrellas i'm seeing cars with different colors of paint jobs that you could make it well Oof. yeah Holy yep. world of making <laughs> yeah. thank, thank you very much, Dr. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie, um, I, um, and everybody, thank you so much for the room. I'm going to hop off to my walk on the beach. And I just wanted to let you know, Jamie, as I see you with the guitar in your hand, like a rock star. Imagine, Jamie, that just simply by playing your guitar, there's going to be clothes or T-shirts people can buy from your band. And then those tunes you play, they're going to adjust to the colors of your tunes. And you're going to have like, you know, yeah, something like that. So thank you so much, um, everybody. And aloha and amazing room. Thank you so much for coming by, Sasha and Jonas, and uh, Sasha and Jonas, 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 Jonas. <laughs> and yeah, Jonas. Actually, you are a redhead, so you can use your own DNA for the research to see if there's. I'm not fault. redhead. I would say um, <laughs> it's uh, some sort of uh, gravel, gray, brown, no, non-existent color. <laughs> okay, so your your beard looks a bit reddish. All right, you have Yeah, my beard is reddish. That is that is true. There, there it gets red, not on my head. That's a weird combination, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Thank you so much everybody. Aloha. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming, Nicola. Thank you. Yes, Thank my you, pleasure. Um, does anybody else have any questions for the doctors here before I hog the stage entirely? Um yeah. I wanna say thank you. Oh go ahead, Katarina. No, no, <laughs> so, so thank you so much, both Yunas uh, and Sesha. That was wonderful work, and we just listened to the question that Jamie and Nicole just asked you. And just I have a quick question out of my curiosity because we are talking about, I mean, sensitive DNA, and we are assuming it's right, I mean, handed DNA, right? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, I didn't hear the last part clearly. Could you please repeat? Yes, I mean, because we have two types of the DNA and we have a right-handed DNA and another yeah. type of DNA. And we are assuming this is the classical model of the DNA, right? Right, yeah. Yes, right-handed. Also, based upon the concentration that you just uh, talked about, I was just wondering, do we have more concentration around the major group, group of the DNA or, I mean, minor group of the DNA? Did you add this observation? Uh well, uh, uh, to be honest, we didn't really focus on that part. We were uh, more focused on uh, how to get the DNA together onto the gold nanorod, but not really understanding the conformational features of uh, DNA around the rod. Yes, uh, like I previously said, the DNA itself what is designed for the sequence then it will have a different like mechanical structure on how it will bind to the goal so would it be like more rot like would it be like very long string like or would it have some sort of a secondary weird confirmation on and going on so all these effects but then we hybridize it one-to-one with this of of complementary sequence and we also like this gets a bit more complicated but all those complementary sequences some of them are like 
one to one the same amount of base pairs. So one strand will bind with hybridized with one strand and become this one rod-like thingy. But in the other sense, there's uh, only one part of the strand will hybridize with the other one. And there's this uh, DNA duplex there that is more rigid and closer to the rod. But after that, there's this uh, stringy single strand that can float around there more freely. If, I don't know where did this go. Did this answer the question? Yes, uh, I mean, I was just curious about the nucleotide and sequence. That yes, the sequences were well. designed in the mind of uh, thermal responsiveness of where, in what temperature they are duplex and what temperature they will melt to single strands to allow for the movement of these gold nanorods in the whole matrix. And what pH you use for? Uh, the pH we use the buffer, so we are in the pH of uh, eight, but which is uh, funny because one of these uh, single strands also has something called I motif that if you would change the pH, it would take the completely different confirmation and could change the shape of the gel as well, which is not said anywhere, but I guess someone who knows DNA sequences can see it there if they look into the paper. Yeah, for sure, I should take a look on the paper. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that question, Dr. Shah, because I actually did forget, uh, I'd had written down the question to ask you about uh, chirality, actually, because we had a speaker a number of weeks ago who was uh, discussing the chirality of DNA, but it sounds like that's not something that specifically you were looking at with what you were doing. Uh, with no, in a... In, in a my previous work and in other works coming out of our lab is we we take gold nanorods and we put them on a chiral DNA structures so we get this uh, chiral optical response in the visible light range so we we are in tune of uh, of chirality of things as well but this is it's not in this work fascinating and and one other question that slipped my mind um is how um, how um, how much would it cost to produce this stuff? Is this going to be like, is the idea of producing something like this with gold atoms, would it be expensive material or fairly not so? Or, or production, would it be a problem? Or is there anything like that? No, I think everything is very inexpensive materials, which was kind of the point as well. And also the synthetic DNA production is the prices are going down all the time as we speak since last decade. So everything is uh, very inexpensive. Okay, that sounds absolutely amazing. Um, I'm, I'm struggling not to just send you guys an email with my order list of everything I would like you to make for me. <laughs> but thank you very, very much. This is incredible. Yeah, thank you so much for this amazing talk, and um, um, it's it's really incredible work. Um, so, but so given that the material probably has to stay because you said um, in order to keep the eye motifs um, up, um, they have to stay in a specific pH um, ambient. So it wouldn't be feasible to 
have them as detectors um, in some body parts. Um, yes, uh, if I can interject there with this, so the eye motif is only in in one of these. Uh, like we are showing, like range of uh, designs here. We chose three different ones, so that eye motif is only part of the one of the designs of the DNA strand. Oh, so it's not the like the whole material. Like I said, you can program and change everything in this material to your liking. Oh, that's that's really interesting. So. Uh, do you see like a uh, application of having sensors on the patches on around the body, maybe even in the body um, that give like a light um, a color response? Yeah, uh, definitely. And in the future, uh, uh, we may not we may not be doing those things, but definitely we see the field. Uh, going in that direction developing uh, more uh, wearables or sense more wearable sensors that are uh, tuned to the body uh, like skins individuals mechanical properties and yeah yeah it's amazing work uh, thank you so much um, this was great and that you answered so patiently all of our questions <laughs> and all of our ideas. And, no worries. Thanks know. a lot for. No, thanks a just, uh, they've been uh, so much fun. You know, for usual conversations in the lab or even in a conference. I think this is this is more fun. Okay. This is more fun. Thanks a lot, Katerina, for reaching out to us. Yeah, thank you for you know coming so fast and. This is such a cool work that, you know, people right away have ideas how they would like to use it and it must be, it must be fun. <laughs> yeah, so maybe, maybe I need to start working on some uh, acoustic things. So sound wave stimulus next. I've been just focusing on light and there's so many ideas with sound. Yes, yeah, sound yeah. and which yeah. magnetic way, like electromagnetic waves also work. Or... Would yeah, yeah magnet definitely. yeah magnets definitely yeah interesting how, how can strong I, can I quit? would it need to be uh, so you couldn't have an earplug because uh it's interesting i listened to um you know um to uh article i think it was wired um where they had earplugs where you can pretty reliably um measure the brain activity in the forms of epilepsy, like to predict if like an epilepsy um, episode is coming up. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be really interesting to have that also, maybe the earbuds could change color to just give an additional signal, you know, turn to red if sure. you know, something. Do you, do you think that electromagnetic fields from the brain or periphery from the neurons would be strong enough to influence the color? Oh, well, maybe the field strengths of uh, of weak, but there are certainly uh, efforts in this research area where people are using magnetic fields to generate colors. So uh, let's say uh, it could be useful in the case of uh, uh, maybe injuries to determine injuries around usually we use MRIs and maybe we can along with MRIs we may not need strong magnets but in case 
if you tie it around your knee, if you have some knee fracture, you can use weaker magnetic fields to understand the uh, nature of injury, maybe? Yeah, for example, you know, I don't know if it's that clinical, but um, you have these headbands and so on that right. give you kind of an indication of, for example, if you're relaxing right now or if you are... Um, you know if you are able to meditate right now and so yep. i think it would be really interesting to have like a color feedback at the, and then try to you know breathe in a way that the color goes to blue or whatever and if you're very upset and right yeah. i don't know It'd be yeah absolutely absolutely yeah absolutely yeah and i actually have two more questions for you doctors and and then i will um suspend everything else um one question was where do you see your research going next where are you going from this what's your next goals I'm right really to hear. Uh, so our next goals uh so we want we want to extend this to uh, understand uh to chiral systems like we discussed earlier how we can use chirality to get to generate uh colors so the interesting part is when you use chiral structures you can potentially create 3d displays the colors that can be uh, that can give you a depth perception to your eyes that can generate the 3d effect 3d sense so that's our uh, next direction for the in the next one one and a half years oh that is so cool um and yeah. second question Second question, when can you come back to tell us all about this? <laughs> so whenever whenever Katarina invites us next, so Yeah, yeah okay. definitely. So start the timer six months. Thank you so much, Doctor, for both of you. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. This was um, so much fun. And yeah, as I said, I hope you enjoyed it and come back yeah. anytime you have something you feel like you would like to share. It would be fun yes. to share. And, well, thanks yes. for inviting us. This is uh, very, very nice us. to talk to people around the globe. Yeah, so, and this will be recorded. So um, people, like some people are right now asleep. So. They will listen to it later. And um, yeah, thank right. you so much again. Enjoy the rest of your evening. And thank you. Uh, thank you for having us. <laughs> thank you for having us. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Good evening to you both, Jan and Crystal. Thank you very bye. much. Good night. Thank you. Bye. And thank you everyone for coming, asking questions. I know Nicola left now, but um, yeah, thank you so much for all the comments. And uh, Victoria, thank you for sharing uh, in the chat and everyone. And um, yeah, uh, we have our next uh, room uh, tomorrow. Um, let me not say a wrong time. Uh, yeah, follow the club, um, Science Society Club. Um, when you press on the little green house on the top next to the science society you can you can follow and have alerts um when you um when we have our next rooms and um tomorrow we will have dr collins uh talking about um, how to protect the microbiome 
with uh, synthetic biology um, that will be uh, really interesting. And then on Thursday, we'll have Dr. Otti talking about nonlinear dynamics of two time crystals. We had Dr. Uh, Pedro um, here, uh, the Google um, senior researcher that um, published the first paper about the time crystal. And now we have another group from the UK that um, accomplished to have two time crystals interacting with each other and, and he will update us on, on that work. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it will be an interesting discussion. And then on Friday, we will have an early room at 9 a.m. EST about multi-armic rejuvenations of human cells. Um, and then in the evening at 9 p.m. Uh, EST, we have Dr. Atta's um, uh, time machine that studies ancestor galaxies life cycles. Um, so will be a really interesting universe um, room. So thank you so much. Uh, feel free to come back and um, thank you. A special thanks to you, Jonas and Risha. And bye, everyone. Um, Katarina, thank you. Bye-bye. Just, just quickly, I wish I oh, would have yeah. been able to make all of it. But from what I heard, um, if anyone's interested in this and, and the two of you, great presentation. Um, Rainbow gravity theory is uh, very interesting to uh, dig into. Oh, thank you, Kyle, for sharing. Thank you so much. Okay, um, we'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye, everyone. Thank you, everybody.